Welcome back, everyone. We're live for another week of Growing with My Fellow Growers. I'm joined, as always, by an amazing panel. This week, we have a much smaller panel than usual, so I will probably be putting the Zoom link into the YouTube chat for some of the growers who might want to jump along and join us. But first, I'm going to pass it over to Spartan Grown. What's up, everybody? I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, or shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com. I'm both an organic or synthetic gardener uh, here in the great state of Michigan. So if you have any questions, just ask and I'll be happy to answer. Happy to have you back. And next up, I'll pass it over to Matthew Gates. Yeah. Hey, everyone. This is Matthew Gates. I'm an integrated pest management specialist and perhaps we'll field some questions from the chat about uh, various IPM issues or questions they might have. If you're interested in plant health information that I purport, you can come to my YouTube channel, Xenthanol, the same one I'm commenting with here, as well as uh, my YouTube or my uh, Instagram and Twitter at SyncAngel. And uh, you can also find some information on uh, Skunk Magazine's website and in their articles where I am a, a frequent writer. We're happy to have you back. And uh, last and certainly not least, as far as introductions go for people who are with us so far is the American one. Hello, Jack, Spartan, Matthew, and everyone in chat. Uh, I'm the American one on YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Keens on the IG. You can hit me up in the DMs there if you want to have any questions or anything. And uh, yeah, it's good to be here tonight. Happy to have you back. We had a few topics that we kind of talked about briefly before the show. And um, one of them is probably the reason that we're missing Brandon Rust this evening. And that's because he was at the Emerald Cup. And um, I guess maybe we could touch a little bit on some of the unfortunate realities of when things get legalized and there's something called the Bureau of Cannabis Control or the BCC, and you have cups like the Emerald Cup that have been happening for years and years long before Prop 64. Um, back in the 215 days when things were a little bit more open, you could bring your own product in. Well, if anybody saw Brandon Rust or um, Sungrown Mids posts, I think both, both of them uh, touched on the fact that Basically, there was people at the Emerald Cup trying to take and successfully taking away people's product that they brought in, which is unfortunate to see and um, definitely a letdown. I don't think uh, the individual in the video I'm thinking of actually got seized, but I know a lot of people did. And uh, definitely unfortunate to this whole us against them mentality and them kind of treating the home growers as if they're like some uh, major problem for these types of events, when in reality, they're the ones who kind of built and made the events in the first place. So. Definitely a, a change of pace in California with legalization and not making it look like the uh, green paradise that it once was a while back. Well, it's really just to me, it's like a nail in the coffin. That's that's killing the event. You know, now all the events are going to be corporate. It's going to be bullshit. I don't know. Maybe it won't be bullshit. Maybe it'll be OK. But uh, no longer is it going to be you can bring in some of your own grown stuff and share it with your friends and, you know, meet up there. That's obviously not a thing anymore, at least in Cali. Hasn't happened here in Michigan yet, but I'm sure they're going to crack down one of these days. They're not going to let us continue to have these events forever and not get their tax dollars. You're probably right about that. And I just wanted to let the chat know if they do want to jump on the panel tonight because it is so uh, short. Dr. MJ is going to join us in a little bit, he said, but he'll be late. Um, but if you do want to join, I dropped the Zoom link in the chat. So if I recognize your name or if you want to DM me and be like, hey, I'm joining Zoom as a uh, name and we recognize who you are, we'd be happy to have you on the panel just to plug that. But yeah, I agree, Spartan. It is definitely sort of uh, unfortunate. It made me think, wow, like next year, 
I was thinking about probably doing more events and the Emerald cup is one that, you know, I've looked at with high regard for a long time. And now I'm like, well, definitely not going to do that because if you can't bring in any of your own stuff, that really defeats a lot of the purpose for me to be able to show off what you've grown, share and compare uh, to what the people around you have done. It's really going to be interesting to see how it affects the events. If the event attendance is going to come way down or not. Um, and the reason I say that is, is sometimes I, I, I'm surprised because I live kind of in a bubble, you know what I mean? I'm surrounded by cannabis people and, and everything like that. And I'm surprised sometimes when I'll go to an event and be like, there's no way I would go to that after all I know about it. And then it sells out, you know what I mean? Something like that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting as the years go on and see if these events change or if they aren't even affected by it. I think uh, different, it'll end up being different cups or events will attract different people because like, in my opinion, the Emerald Cup was the, the like best event that there was ever. But now it's like strictly commercial and it's different. When you when it started out, it was like everybody wanted to see who had the best, who grew the best in like basically Humboldt County, I guess, or maybe the Sun Triangle, the Emerald Triangle, and Sun Grown. Yeah, now they have a, a slew of categories. They have, um, you know, just everything. So. But I think there'll be smaller ones that now, like the growers and the real, real people will, uh, I don't know how, I don't know if I should call them real people, but you know, the people <laughs> that really love cannabis and live for cannabis, there'll be events that they'll want to attend perhaps more than the Emerald Cup now because of that. Yeah, those satellite um, sort of interactions, I think are, I think they're already more popular for some, especially in other industries too, where that's kind of the case, right? Where like maybe the, um, and maybe the numbers don't go down, but the composition of the people who go or go primarily might change, um, you know, what their, what their preoccupations are or what their sort of status is and what they contribute might change quite a bit. But, uh, yeah. but going to the, but like you say, like going to those private, you know, it, it, it might just be a private group with you and your buddies too. And, um, or something a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, larger, you know, sort of like the after party kind of feel to it. Right, right. I think you're definitely right there. And, um, you know, as speaking from my, myself, I uh, typically don't go to these events. And um, I think that's a lot of times it's much to my chagrin. Uh, usually that's because I'm still quite busy. Um, but also I'm, uh, I, I've always, almost always the conferences that I go to uh, in cannabis and also in other ones, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm oftentimes left let down. I do make some good networking though. Uh, and I think that would be the major draw for me even now, but I still have to say like, this is super corrosive to my desire to go. Um, you know, am I going to get harassed? Uh, you know, is that going to be that one, you know, that one time that uh, an, a regulatory organization decides to, you know, maybe make an example out of the event or the people going to it. Um yeah, definitely doesn't make me want to want to go. Um, especially, sorry, sorry. I just want to say, uh, sorry, I'm bogarting a bit, but I just want to say this also, particularly because other people, many people, legacy growers have gone, have been imprisoned for this. So of course, uh, I don't blame anyone for feeling a little bit like it's a little bit risky. Right. So as a counter to it um somebody mma mm maverick maybe i think let me post the actual comment into our chat so i can read it out they said 
yeah, it's M-M-A-V, Rick, um, says third gen family farms put on that event. And from a lot of accounts, uh, they say, quote, real heads event. And it's about flour and extracts. And that event was called the Ego Clash. And I saw like Mendo Dope Boys were at Ego Clash when for years, I know they were big advocates and proponents of the Emerald Cup, but I don't think they even made an appearance there. And I think the um, Ego Clash may have been invite only or a smaller event so that they're allowed to trade flour and do things like that and uh, have a more kind of old school feel because I'll just say it with legalization, things have just gotten a lot bigger too. There's a lot more people coming to these events than would have ever been there before. And like Spartan said, not all of them are growers or like have history or knowledge and they might not be connected. They're just going to see what's available. And uh, if they don't grow anything, they don't care if it's like from a home grower or from a commercial grower. They just want to be at the event and have a good time or whatever. And they might not know what it used to be like. One of the good things about the events is there's a lot, they give away a lot of free samples, which I always, I always love, but I saw someone posted a picture and said like, uh, put out your joint, poke out your ball, whatever, before continuing at, at the Emerald Cup. Like that's just sacrilegious because I've, in years past when I've gone, you could smoke anywhere on the whole entire place, wherever you are. So it was weird. I think so, you have to get permits or something. Cause I think there are some events that you're still allowed to smoke in California. Um, so I, I don't want to think that 100% of the... No, it was just a section, I think. It was just a section that you couldn't perhaps... Yeah, it wasn't the whole place, obviously. The, yeah, that wouldn't go down at all, no. I do feel like having a refuge, because smoke, sometimes the smoke can be quite a bit, <laughs> if there's too much of it uh, for some places. But um, I, I definitely agree. I do feel like it's a little bit uh, ironic that um, at a smoking event you cannot... Or an event about cannabis, which primarily is smoke, uh, people cannot do the primary action with it. It's a little bit, you know, but that might have nothing to do. That could be like a, a higher level, higher tier legislative reason, like the, like the California government, you know, with like smoking laws and things like that. I'm not sure yeah, what the impetus is. I think it's what we were talking about earlier with making examples. Cause if the BCC was there, it just seems like they're trying to have things run the way that they want them to be run and demonstrate that they can have people boots on the ground at these events and enforcing uh, legislation and regulations that they've put in place because largely people have operated and pretended like these legislations don't exist and they'll just do things as they've always done them until they get a slap on the wrist or um, you know I, I would say worse but fortunately in California it's really hard to get yourself in a lot of trouble for cannabis stuff like um, certain counties their sheriffs are talking about these guys will have you know a few hundred plant greenhouses growing they go out on saturday chop every plant down all they can do is serve the dude to fine and then they come back on tuesday and he's all the way back up and running you know full force again right on the same property so uh, the laws are written right now it's uh it's difficult for both sides i guess and i don't think that the you know people enforcing these laws are, are doing it the best but they don't necessarily have a lot of tools to to work with and i think they're frustrated so they're trying to take things out on the people here and there whenever they get their opportunities you got to become unenforceable generally just live your life that way if you can I like <laughs> that's a lot to say it says yeah like, um you have to uh, know the rules so you can that. break them strategically or something mm-hmm. like that um and i think that's a good point because it's not even like you have to break the laws it's just that you can navigate them in a way that you keep yourself out of trouble and you know maximize whatever you're trying to maximize and stay out of trouble yeah 
yeah. I, do, I definitely want to echo uh, what you were saying, Jack, though, about um, about how uh, a lot of times you do have to push back because you can't, and I know I'm even guilty of this, sort of like assuming that some sort of a person in authority, whether it's somebody in a, in a, like a work environment or like here in like a, um, like a police action environment, like the example you're talking about, um, assuming that somebody has your best outcome in mind, uh, you know, that they're actually going to fight for it that way is a bad and naive assumption to make. Um, and even I make it sometimes knowing that. Uh, and also that uh, people are going to be aware of the own law that they're talking about, which sounds really absurd, but it is true. And I think that was the major thing with um, with our friend, Mr. Whitka, uh, Sungrown Mix Mids, because he is you know, explaining that they had absolutely the legal right uh, to do what they were doing. And uh, it's just so terrible <laughs> and abhorrent that uh, the organization was giving the justification of like, well, we're protecting you because it's not licensed. So we don't know what's in it. And it's like, that doesn't even enter into the equation because they can have it on their person. Yeah. None of them were consuming it. They were just talking about it and showing it to each other. It was like, uh, it was kind of phrased in the post that I saw. It's like, look at these artists or breeders discussing stuff that they bred over the season, over the years and, and letting each other smell it and look at it. It wasn't even like trimmed buds. It was like, you know, just, I think they might've even been pollinated branches. Like it was clear that they were not uh, consuming in that moment when the person came up. So it was definitely absurd to try and enforce some regulation on something that we very fundamentally have a right to do now in California, which is possess a certain amount of cannabis, whether you have a medical card or if you're just over the age of 21 and you can have it for adult use. I just wanted to stress um, the important lesson about all of this, at least that I took away from that is, is that if you stand your ground and you don't, you know, give into their fear tactics in the end, he, he was able to walk away with his cannabis and put it in his car. Whereas a lot of other people ended up out of fear, giving up their cannabis when they demanded it. So, you know, know your rights. And, uh, I think that's great. And, you know, when we have these laws or rules that we don't think are fair, it's not like we just have to obey them. We still can lobby our governments local or, or state, you know, I'm going to keep ringing this bell, but you can get those things changed. They're not set in stone forever and never change. You can change laws all the time. In legal circles, they call it, uh, the punishment is the process. Sometimes they do. Sometimes the whole point is to just make the situation very uncomfortable, very difficult to deal with, um, put you in a vulnerable state, uh, either uh, as your perception of the situation is, or actually threaten something you know, that, that, uh, that you, uh, care about. And, um, I think you're very right, Spartan, that, uh, especially if we have a unified front, especially if we're, if there's a group of people who are, you know, resisting and, a- and able to be articulate and not, um, well, uh, you know, that definitely facilitates things, good communication skills. And also, like you say, knowing where you stand so that you can actually, you know, stand yeah. appropriately. Right. That's a big one. in the right. I believe yeah. that's why they had to let him go. But like someone else would have been scared and just did whatever they told them to, you know, or or gotten aggressive and done things right. that might have uh, upscaled the uh, circumstance. Yeah. yeah. Given the person a reason to then confiscate something or maybe even like, you know, hold them, uh, detain them or whatever. And it's exactly. 
it's interesting because some places in life, like you can look around, um, like at a college campus, for example, there's a certain amount of paths that are paved from one building to another, but occasionally students will find, Hey, there's a shortcut from here to there. And they'll start walking on a path that's either in the grass or like through some bushes or whatever it is. And over time it either kills off the grass and you know, the bushes start to widen up. So you can physically see the path that people are walking on. And oftentimes what the college is or whatever place will do this, they'll pave that path then because they're like, Oh, people are using this. So let's just smooth the path over, make it more convenient for everybody. But instead of adapting to the behavior that people are, you know, regularly doing and and accepting um, the government here seems to want to press people and make them go against their, their grain and what they've been naturally doing here since 1996. Uh, We've had the right medically in California for a long time to possess cannabis and, and share it with each other. So now they're trying to roll things back because the legalization to get as much tax dollars as they can, it's just, it's not right. And I'm glad that people are aware and educated and we're able to uh, bring a little bit of a light to it because part of being a home grower is knowing your rights when you go out in public, um, being able to share. I, I think it's a, a sacrament <laughs> to even to like a religious level, but um, the joy that you can bring to somebody or like the medicine or even just the recreational, you know, making somebody's night, giving them some free cannabis. Um, that is a very powerful thing that many of us have had the ability to do for years now. And um, it's something that none of us want to have taken away. So I'm happy to see uh, people standing up for the right, that right in particular, because it's important to be able to share this beautiful plant. And that's a big part of what the community is built on. I'm thankful. Um, one of the things that got changed in legalization, there was actually like no free product because in Prop 60 or 215, a lot of people were saying, oh, this is a donation. This is a donation. But they'd be like, oh, you have to pay $50 donation to get the eighth or whatever. So it was kind of like basically just a paid a, a way around actually saying that you're paying for something and getting a donation. So they're basically saying, hey, no donations. Everything has to be paid. Even if it's a dollar, you have to pay. Even for something on sale, it has to be like a penny or a dollar. And Wasn't there now, a group that was doing that? Like uh, that's how they were getting away with it. They were like, is this exactly what you're describing? I don't mean to interrupt, but like, uh, like they give a, lot a of shirt. Groups. And a lot of yeah, they'll be like, here's here's the yeah for as a as a tip, and yep. um, yeah, okay. It could be a sticker, it could be a million things, um, and they would you know pay, and, and there was a lot of legal ambiguity and probably some honestly like money laundering and illegally set up businesses <laughs> and things like that. So I'm not going to like stand behind all of the practices that were being done, uh, but they are definitely happening. But now they finally rolled back the fact that like children with you know really, really severe illnesses that need heavy amounts of like CBD oil or even THC oil or veterans that just can't afford the product. It was illegal to give it away for free to them for a long time. And they, as of a few months ago, um, it might even be a year now at this point in California, the services are allowed to give away free product, which is a big change that is for the better. You know, it was previous in 215, we were allowed to give away free product. It was unfortunately abused with like the donation for product for a while but not everybody was doing that and um so i'm just happy to see that that's back because like my wife works at a delivery service medleaf they're partially veteran owned and they donate a lot of like rso to veterans which i personally believe helps them a lot with their ptsd and um it just is an amazing thing to be able to do that was cut off for so long for even the people like on the corporate side that want to do good they were basic their hands were tied and they couldn't so now the groups that want to do good have the ability to do that which is a big step forward see him some pretty awesome names in chat go ahead and hit that fucking 
link guys and join us yeah it's pinned that uh cheap home grow comment with the really long little https uh whatever us that's a zoom link if you click on that it'll pop up and then we'll see your name whatever you want to type it in as and uh i'll approve you if it's somebody that looks familiar and maybe we could take some questions and comments i know matthew was talking about potentially wanting to help out with some ipm so if anybody has ipm questions definitely get those in because he will be more than capable and happy to answer them tonight yeah, absolutely. It's uh, probably a good uh, time to do that sort of a thing because there are less people around and, um, you know, I don't feel like I'm taking up too much time when doing it because I can be very loquacious. Well, and we also have indoor and outdoor growers, Spartan Grown and, uh, you know, the American one have both got lots of experience indoor and outdoor. Uh, Spartan's done commercial and homegrown level, organic, synthetic. If you got any questions, cannabis related at all if you want to know what kind of music we listen to just shoot it up in the chat we are more than happy to talk to you guys this is one of the rare nights that we'll actually get to engage with basically all that you're saying that uh hasn't already been said so far because i'm going to start scrolling back and looking through and seeing if we miss any questions so yeah i see people that could come right on up smart poker even though he's been here he could come back potent ponics teach b yeah, has some plants she could show us. I'd love um, an update but, on Chicha B's plants. I know uh, yeah. I don't know if she's ever been on the show before, but she dog started doctors. dog doctor. By the way, shout genetics. out to everyone in chat. Abolished as I saw abolished. In I don't want to miss anybody. Seed up from Norbal, seed up from NorCal, who's now going to be seed up from SoCal soon if he's not ready. <laughs> he's going to have to do a name change and everything. Man, it's annoying. I'll just forever be seed up from NorCal. Like I'm from Ohio and all my buddies in college just called me Ohio. They wouldn't say my first or last name. They're just like, oh, that's the guy from Ohio. And then that just became, that's Ohio. You know, so there's only one of, <laughs> yeah. I was at a small, small college, only dude from Ohio in that little area. So it made it easy for them. You know, a cool thing about IPM, I guess, I don't know. I'm just going to talk and we'll see what you think. So I always notice that when it gets cold here in Michigan, wintertime, that's when you get your pest pressure. Usually, I mean, hopefully you're running a sealed environment, but even in a sealed environment, you're going to find pest pressure somewhere, even if it's in the outer, you know, hallways or something like that. And every year it seems like it's a different pest for us. Um, the first year we got these, uh, hmm, I can't remember what I identified it as, like an army worm kind of a thing. These little caterpillar things. Man, I've never seen them before in my life, and I was seeing like didn't hundreds you, of them. Didn't you have tent? I think you had tent caterpillars, right? Because they made those big yeah. silk webs, right? And so, so yeah, we just killed. I mean, they were pretty easy once we identified them to get traps for them, and they just, you know. But this uh, right now, what I'm noticing, it was kind of cool because it um, it actually drove some predators, and we got ladybugs. We got so many ladybugs this year. Probably, I don't know. I might see. When I go through to water our veg room, I might see one to two ladybugs now just chilling on the plants. But it's cool to have a, a bug that I don't have to worry about. I'm like, nope, I don't have to treat anything. We're gonna let those let those ones ride. <laughs> so this year it was a it was a happy pest pressure. We got uh, free ladybugs. I love ladybugs. Nice. I know that they're not like the perfect predator, but uh, the nymphs i think is the proper term for the babies or whatever that they look like little alligators those things kill the shit out of aphids and uh pretty voracious for sure but the adults even can be effective and if you can get them to stick around which might not always be the easiest thing but in a tent 
for the most part, they, they hang around for a bit. Yeah, I don't know how long these things are going to last, but they're lucky they're inside because they wouldn't last very long outside. That's for damn sure. Everything in Michigan's going inside right now, right? Because the winter is coming. Well, yeah, we're in uh, this weird warm spell right now. Um, but yeah, it was fucking rain. I mean, it was snowing. I mean, in northern Michigan, they are under snow. I mean, they got feet of snow. And then it was raining yesterday. So, I mean, it was like in the in the 40s and raining. 40s, 50s. We're like, what in the fuck is going on? And now we're back to 41 right now. So it's kind of like a heat wave. 41. That's like the coldest day we've had all winter. And you're like, oh, heat wave. <laughs> it's cold. I had a friend, a friend of mine, um, a myrmecologist who says ants in Russia. And uh, he sent me a couple of pictures. Uh, his dog curled up and the outside of his, he lives in Moscow, outside of his uh, window. And he said, uh, you know, here's a little game. Wait, guess what time it is and how cold it is that you think. And uh, I went with an obvious answer that what it looked like, but of course, it probably wasn't. And I said, oh, it looks like a 10 a.m. And I'm going to say maybe, I don't know, minus three degrees Celsius. And he's all like, nope, it's uh, 3.15 and in the p.m. And it is uh, um, uh, minus 15. <laughs> and I was like wow that's really frigid he's like no 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 minus 30 is frigid this is just cool <laughs> yeah it's all matter it. perspective i guess it is i suppose <laughs> and i used to be that way like the cold didn't really bother me a whole lot but now that i've spent so much time in 80 degree rooms you know leds we got to run 80 degrees now like i am a baby man it's like right now i'm starting you see me in my head i'm already kind of chilly and it's like we're not even below freezing yet uh, Shredder0911 in the comments is saying that uh, box elder bugs and stink bugs are invading their house. And this is definitely the time for that. Um, I know here in San Diego, um, you know, spiders, crickets, um, other sorts of uh, organisms are coming into the houses because it's warmer, of course, and uh, they can sense that as they're traveling along. Um, and they're sensitive to it because it helps them. A lot of them, like they uh, either go into some sort of state of torpor where they kind of, it's not like hibernation quite, but they do kind of like lower their metabolism and just become kind of inactive. This is the time for that to happen. And they might not like hurt you or they might not be pests of you. Or, and some of them are of your plants, but um, yeah, it's difficult. I want to say that the number one place where this happens to people is generally, of course, obviously through your windows and through your door. And if you have a garage, uh, a lot of times garages are not, you know, they're not very well sealed. Um, so if you can attack those three areas and kind of make them more, uh, solid, you caulk, you know, spaces, or you, um, uh, redo the lining, or in some cases, you know, maybe the person who originally put in those, the door frame or the windows, um, maybe got it wrong. Uh, but if there's big gaps, um, by which I, I want to characterize like half a centimeter or a few, even a few millimeters, it can be enough to allow some things in. And, uh, you know, that's no fun. So, uh, you know, attacking those places, making them um, more secure is your best bet for keeping that from happening. Yeah, we're required by fucking OSHA, of course. To, uh, they required us to put in one of our flower rooms. So they wanted us to do all of our flower rooms, uh, put a door to the outside. So like if, for instance, there was a fire in some part of the room that prevented you going to, into the the door into the room, the only door into the room, then you can still escape. 
So um, what our solution was, they'll have only one door going to the outside, but could, um, doors going between rooms on both ends. That makes sense. So, so you can like a side door? Yeah. So we only have one door that goes to the outside, but that's, you know, that's our fucking biggest fucking, we know that's our biggest fuck, our weakest link. So every time we walk past the door, it's like thorough inspection, guys. <laughs> Do you see water beating up on the door? Do you see, you know, can you see the light from outside coming through to this door? And it's such a, we have, we have styrofoam pad, you know, the styrofoam uh, sheet insulation. We just mm-hmm. took a big sheet of that, cut a hole out for the handle and just pushed it against the door from the outside. So it's completely <laughs> covered on the outside. Um but you know, in case of a fire, we can still kick that door open and still get out. But that is so annoying to have to have a door to the outside in your flower room. Oh, it drives me insane. For your safety, ultimately, for the idiots who are going to burn down their fucking grow rooms. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, not you, you guys. never know. You might, you might need that door one day. It but could be a fucking clo- HPS. You can keep it closed and sealed. You know, Those until you have to open it, right? Oh, bro, it's it's a fucking grow. There's water everywhere. <laughs> I'm not worried about a fire. <laughs> it's like when it's the weekend crew, like right after that dude waters or whatever. And then he's like, you know, walks. I don't know. It's just a just in case, I guess, because uh, HPS grow lights do on occasion explode and catch on fire. Um, yeah. And that's not even like if somebody our, entire building is, our entire building is steel, like all the fucking studs are steel. There's not very much that. Well, the tables would burn. The tables would burn the the actual like whatever that plastic material is i bet you that would burn mm. and maybe the pots but the plants say, wouldn't burn i'll say know. this you you definitely um i mean you definitely did the the best thing in that in that situation to uh to avert catastrophe i definitely think that's way better than having one door out to the, the environment um so in every single yeah. grow space that'd be yeah. crazy yeah see, that's that's just like a way knowing the rules and and doing figuring out a way to abide by them and still maximize or achieve your goal that's true yeah like you know how hard it is well it's probably not hard now that there's probably a lot of commercial facilities looking for it but how hard it was to find real green lights for the um exit signs because those have to be on 24 sevens but we we, they allowed us to use green lights otherwise i mean we'd have been fucked you know what i mean we have to have exit lights are you kidding me and rooms were not in we got potentonics joining us um but yeah it's definitely that would be unfortunate if you had to have red lights on all night long <laughs> that is not as optimal as a green exit light uh, i want to say welcome to uh steve potentonics welcome back hey how's it going good good we we're just talking a little bit about uh ipm and you know, doors being sealed. I was going to say there's a group called um, Wonder Brett out here and they have this like massive air vent you walk through when you come in from your initial spot outside, you like stand in it and they have like air jets that blow on you to potentially blow off any, I, I would imagine pests. And I don't know if that would affect molds or mildews, but it's an interesting system and it seems to be working well for them. Maybe pollen too. That'd be great for uh, breeding between breeding rooms. Wonder Brett also, because um, I have actually worked with them they uh, they have a very um, impressive physical security system too. Um, this is less to do with pests. Well, it does help with pests too, but uh, just sort of general traffic and movement. Um, I just want to say uh, uh, I would not want to, I would not want to try to rob that place. Oh no, that place is 
like uh, Fort Knox in all the great ways that it could be. So shout out to them for having a, not only a biosecurity system, but a physical security system because uh, crimes are on the rise in the cannabis space. Not to segue into another dark topic, but it's, that's a, it's true though. You have to have security and um, like some of the grows, um, God, what's their name? Jungle Boys. There's like, you know, like unfortunately people right outside some of these grows. There's a LA Kush has a grow underground uh, like in an undisclosed location, kind of uh, in downtown LA. And you would never really know, but the physical security aspect is definitely one that people uh, often underestimate. Um, there are, you know, when <laughs> there, there is crime related to both the legal and illicit market, which is a unfortunate reality. But I think it offers, for example, to give a real life example, my wife works at a delivery service, like I've mentioned many times, uh, partially veteran owned. They hire tons of veterans that are um, security guards. So it gives people opportunities for employment. We have Dog Doctor and Noah the Groa joining us. Noah the Groa. But yeah, so it um it does come with its upsides as well. So I, I did want to, you know, mention those things. There there is benefits to um the legal side of things. But I want to say cheers to first Noah the Groa. Welcome buddy. I didn't think you were gonna make it, but we're happy to have you. How's it going everybody? Uh yeah, I got a little free time so I figured I'd pop on in. How's it going? Is it good? Glad, glad to see Good you, to hear you, boss. What's up, man? Always happy to have you. And uh, we also got Dog Doctor, who just came in at exactly the same time. So I want to give him a chance to say hello again. Welcome back, Dog Doctor. Hi, guys. Grows love. Nice Grows to be love, back. Man. Thank you. Thank you What's for receiving me. What's up, everybody? Everybody good? Everybody has a nice week? Yes. Always could be better, could be worse. That's <laughs> the way I look at That's it. That's true. Still alive. That's true. That means we're doing good. Always. Yeah. <laughs> As long as it could be worse, we're in a good spot. And I'd be remiss not to say hello to Potent. What's up, Potent? What's up? I was just going to say, you meant you're talking about the Dennis Corona and Brownie Mary Act earlier. Um, I'm a good friends with Wayne Justman, and he, he was one of the people that helped with that bill. I'd be happy to give you his info so you could have him on the show. That would be fun. We would love that. I, I love having guests and uh, people that have that direct attachment to what I believe to be some of the most important history and I think the United States cannabis um, revolution that's happening right now, because really since 96, and I guess you could argue that maybe Alaska had some freedoms a little bit earlier, but I think that was one of the most black and white. Um, it was actually, it was one of the first aggressive uh, medical cannabis legalizations that happened in, in I believe the largest state. Um, so it was a huge deal and it'd be awesome to have them on and, and talk a little bit about how that came to be because uh, that's an important piece of history that not a lot of people know too much about, but I think it shaped the landscape of what we're going through now uh, for better or for worse. I think things have maybe gotten worse since that great legislation was passed, but um, it was a huge, huge step forward. Wayne was around for 215 as well. He's a, he's an OG. He was back, back in way before anything was legalized. He was there getting arrested with Dennis. He's always got different good stories from, from the old days. I always love hearing about activism and, and how things get changed because it brings me hope. <laughs> it brings me, or it could give me, you know, tips to maybe help help me out. So I, I just think it's really funny because uh, I remember when Gavin Newsom approved that like crazy outrageous budget for them to do raids. 
up in Northern California. And as soon as he found out about it, he got angry and went directly to Gavin Newsom's house because he knows him personally and started and chewed him out in person. And I was like, Wayne, you're the man. That's awesome, man. That's impressive, honestly. He must be well connected because Newsom is very uh, well connected. He's just the political guy. So uh, it's cool that people like Wayne can get into his ear because uh, we need that definitely because spending as much money on the raids as they have is uh, certainly a shame. And I think it could be spent more doing positive things, you know, um, but we also got Chicha B joining us for uh, a jump in here, but yeah, definitely it'd be awesome to have them on. And I want to maybe let's get a little update where we've got some watering going on from dog doctor. So what, what are we watering over there? Dog doctor. I'm watering uh, dos I'm watering Gorilla Blue. I'm watering the chocolates and I'm watering the big tent also. Right Who's now the they're all there? uh, Gorilla Blue. It's a cross of uh, Super Glue with the uh, blueberry. Sounds I'm pretty good. curious. Yeah, I'm curious about that one. I love both of the genetics. So I don't know. Jesus, now I'm looking. I have to clean this. It's popping. Little ones everywhere. I need to take all of this out. Call me towel. Yeah. Uh, what did you say? I'm sorry. I don't hear no towel. worries. I, I want to say welcome to uh, Chicha Beach. Cheers, Chicha. Hey, Chicha. Cheers, guys. <coughs> Cheers. How are you doing? I know a while ago we um, talked and you had just started growing through, I think, like the fucking talking shit with Eagle Crew. People, uh, you, you want a light and you got into growing a few autos. So uh, definitely cool to see you jump on. And I'm curious, are you still growing and uh, how are things going? Uh, yeah, I'm still growing. I'm actually about to crop my Queen White Haze next week on Friday. Um, I have some Blue Mile from Bingus growing. Some Mendo Loco, Mendo Breath, some Menage Delight, and Triple X Candy. Is the light on? Yeah. That's come why on. I'm so beaming. Well, come Let's see on. It. I'm not that, like, you know. Can you turn the camera okay. around? Oh, hi, guys. And, and cheers, hey. Modern Genetics, who just jumped in, too. Uh, right. Cheers. cheers. Oh, at least say hi. Jeez, Tom. What's up? What's up, oh, guys? Geez. You got a party <laughs> now. I love modern genetics. Cheers, Hello, guys. Martin. Well, I come Sorry, in smoke I'm on a laptop, so I'm going to try to do this the best I can. Oh, that helps. It's looking good. We got Look the scrub going on. Look at that. You said you got Queen White Haze. Cheers to Canna Queen. And you got some Bingus Blue Mile. Cheers to both those uh, great people in the community. Yeah, so since you're looking this way... In that corner is the Mendo Loco. And then beside that, that's another Queen White Haze. Oh, fuck. And then that's a Mendo Breath. I don't know what happened. And then that's the Blue Mile. That's looking frosty, that Blue Mile. And also cheers to SoCal Wiener with the uh, Mendo Loco. Great stuff. I just want to shout up. out your awesome slaps. I'm lo- I'm loving them. Yeah, I need to put some more in there. <laughs> yeah, especially that one. Staggered, right? Yeah. See, obviously they're putting staggered. What's the ones that are almost done? Sorry to 
stomp on everybody. Oh, the one that's almost done is the Queen White Haze. I think it's like Queen White Haze F3. I would have to actually look at it, but yeah, that's one that's going to be done next Friday. Looks frosty. I need to Good pop works, some of yeah. those because I won some in a, one of her giveaways. She did. It was like, guess how many seeds are here? And I just, I was sorting seeds myself. So I was like, that looks like about, I think it was like 210 is what I guessed. And it was like 208. So it was like closest, not closest without going over. So I won not only a pack of like the F3s, but I think she also sent me the F2s or maybe it's Wookiee Unicorn, but she's done a lot of really cool work and uh, big, big ups to Candy Queen Genetics. Um awesome person in the community i still still see her going live on instagram so make sure to check her out you just saw chicha killing it with some of her work um how yeah. what are some of the aromas I, I guess i should have asked you when you were over there but um that one looks like the, it's the furthest along so what kind of smell are you getting off that this one um play-doh and baby shit sometimes citrus yeah that's some funk i love that play-doh baby <laughs> shit and citrus that's a quite the combination there yeah <laughs> Plato's super distinct to me at least <laughs> I, I mean that's the only like that's the only thing i can like every time i smell it i'm like okay that's all i get i bet it's gonna be potent to be honest whenever i get those types of aromas they tend to be actually super strong if it has like a little bit of like a foulness to it it uh, mm -hmm. tends to have quite the potency and knowing canna queen she tends to pick for the ones that have a uh, extremely high potency that's like her her bag so yeah cheers to her yeah. How you doing over there, Modern? What are you talking on? I saw you light up a joint right when you joined us. I think you're still muted. Yeah, this is Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner, nice. Where'd you get that from? I got a cut from uh, Red Eye Wrestler. Yeah, I forget where he got it from. It's a rare cut. It's very, uh, got a lot of line in it. Yeah, he was talking really, to the breeder, and the breeder said, yeah, that's a rare cut. It's real potent, too. It's really head. nice. Does yeah, it purple really out? No. Nope. No, it'll get a little purple, but no. We got a few questions, actually, from the chat, if we want to go through those now. Thank you to uh, Putin Phonics for uh, putting those through. Clay Pipes, STL, <sighs> says, question... I'm dealing with rust in the beginning part of flower. Has anyone dealt with, and they say rust the second time, but I think rust is what they're. Yeah, I asked about this question. I don't know if there's a clarification because if they mean fungal rust or they mean like rust mites. Or do they mean rust spots, which could be a calcium deficiency? Exactly. It's kind of hard do to Do you know. have rusty water? <laughs> rust <laughs> rusty pipes. Isn't there a sentinel? Like, no, fungus. Fungus. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. what I assumed it was, but it's good that uh, we're questioning because, yeah, maybe it is just a deficiency. While we wait, though, we've got another rest. question that's more straightforward. Rowdy420 says, Spartan Grown, if you top dress Langbanite, how long does it take to become available? You're taking the bong rip. So I'll say, uh, I think it would depend on the soil. There's got to be like different levels of microbes in my soil than Spartan soil and then somebody else's soil who just maybe started out their first run. So I'd imagine if he top dressed it, I top dressed it and the third grower top dressed it and you took soil samples, they'd all probably be available at slightly different times, but I'm not sure if there's like a standard ratio or time that it's expected to be available. I would say within like one to two weeks, usually you're going to expect your plants to be able to have some. Which one is he top dressing with? Langbanite. Langbanite. Well, some of it is water soluble. So there's a certain percentage that 
I think it would yeah. become immediately available. And then it's pretty quick. Like, yeah, it's pretty quick. I've noticed, but um, I did answer this in, in, in the chat too. And um, I found out that he's, he's where he had said earlier that he already is using a top dress of potassium sulfate. So I told him, I said, well, you could replace it with langbanite and just know that that's potassium sulfate and magnesium. It's just exactly the same thing, but with magnesium too. So uh, you could just sub that out if you wanted to do that, to try out that if you wanted to, but just be aware you're bringing magnesium. When you bring magnesium, you're going to start messing with that magnesium and calcium fucking ratio. And it could just, then it can fuck with fucking potassium at the same time. So just, you know, be careful with it. Don't go nuts with it. Anybody else have thoughts on the Langbanite? Oh, sorry. I made you cut you off there. Go ahead. Um, and then also, if you're if you raise your calcium and magnesium significantly, you also need to slightly raise your boron at the same time to make sure everything is fully available um, uh, as well. And then you want your phosphorus to be about um, you know half of what your uh, your calcium is and your uh, as well, well approximately. What do you use for boron? Like what is, is there just like a mineral boron you, you get? So Kelp is very high in boron if you want oh, something okay. more natural. Um, there's uh, certain plants, um, stinging nettles, pretty high naturally in boron as well. But uh, any type of sea creature type stuff, so oyster shells uh, are going to be uh, high in that, um, as well as kelp extract, or not kelp extract, but kelp meal rather. Yeah, so I'm already seaweed extract those maybe? products. So I'm just going to assume I'm doing good then. Yeah, I would avoid going with the liquid extracts. You tend to get yeah. into trouble quicker with those. Stick stick to the 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 dry meals, and you'll have much much better uh, results. Yeah, I'm a big fan organic or synthetic to be dry. <laughs> Some of the liquid ones, the smells, especially the ocean ones, can be very very rough. So just gonna put that out there. I do like the fish shit, but like the um, Alaskan fish whatever emulsion, that one it just. It's like a gag when I open it. It's it's rough, and I'm pretty good with bad that smells. Was, yeah, that was pretty thick too. It's it's rough with trying to get it out of there. And not my favorite product. <laughs> no offense to it. I do think that it's probably got a good amount of nitrogen and uh, microbes and things in there. But we have a great question from Truth Serum. I wanted to get to any tips on or recommendations for growing methods for beginning a perpetual harvest in a four by four flower tent and a two by four veg tent with intention of maximizing yield. So I definitely think that it's a great setup. You've got lots of space with that. Um, and it just depends on where you're at as far as your laws are concerned, because like, let's say in California, you can only have six mature flowering plants um, versus like Michigan, you can have 12. So that's just going to dictate the number of plants that you are going to do this method with. But let's say like, even like Canada, where you can only have four, until you get your ACMPR. Um, if you could just do two plants in your veg and two plants in flower, as long as you set it up appropriately, there's a few different ways to do it um, perpetually. So like you could grow, you start all four at the same time and then you put one into flower first and then wait a few weeks, put the second one into flower and then wait another few weeks. And then those last two, by the time that the ones are finishing up in flower, you can then move them in to the flower tent while you're harvesting. Um, but I don't know, I'm, I'm curious what the other members of the panel because I haven't typically done a perpetual. I like to grow from seed each time, but uh, I know it's a lot about timing and just knowing how much space you have, uh, vegging them out appropriately and just trying to keep the uh, veg tent feeding your flower tent. 
you need to have a drying place also. Otherwise, it will dry in the same place as you're growing, and then you cannot keep your perpetual going. You also need to have a place for clones. Um, yeah, so you have to take that into consideration. Um, you can get one of those dome clone things because this is actually how I started. I started, like, as I've said before on the show, I started in my shower in my master bathroom is my bedroom. I started in a closet as my flower room, and I had a little cloner on my kitchen sink with a little LED fluorescent light on the top of it. <clears throat> you just kind of want to make sure that, uh, you know, when your plants get about, you know, 18 to 20 inches, the bigger you can get, you know, that's when you're going to be cloning so that those clones are going to be ready to flip when you flip it on, you know, you get a feel for it when you get your strains going. Could be, it could be 24 inches, you're, you know, it depends on how, how fast you're vegging, what you're using to veg with, you know, but you want to make sure that you have your clones, um, uh, your clones either rooted or very confident that your clones are going to root before you flip. So you don't lose your strains. If you're running perpetual and you're not doing it from seed, you want to make sure, like I always tell everybody when you're cloning, if you're planning on keeping like, you know, two clones, maybe clone like four or five, that way you got a little room for error Then you can also pick the healthiest ones. And this is all law, law you know, law abiding too, but <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the strategy that I've used. One of those things with law that I just wanted to clarify before somebody else can jump in is certain places, veg plants or clones, uh, depending on how big they are, like in Michigan, if they don't have roots, they're not counted as plants. But once they strike roots, I believe that they're counted as a plant. Some places don't count veg plants at all. And some places count them after they're over six inches tall. So it's important to know your local legislation and guidelines on total plant count, what counts as an actual plant. And um, like Dog Doctor said, having a drying space is really important. I've been seeing a uh, shout out to Smart Poker. I'm not sure if they're with us right now listening, but I've been seeing them using their canna troll. Uh, I think they dry at like 68 degrees, with like 50 something percent humidity. It's looking like they're having some pretty good results and uh, pretty happy with it so far. I've been really liking the curador and a few different methods, but I also do enjoy the herbs now. Uh, so that is my preferred drying space. So if uh, somebody was trying to do perpetual, I would definitely suggest that as an option for drying. I've tried it several times and it's worked very well. And I don't think that it's uh, negatively impacted my product. If anything, I think it's actually made my product much, much better than it was with all my other previous drying methods. So I wanted to throw that out there for it was who asked this question. Let's see. Truth Serum was talking about the uh, perpetual. So I'm curious if uh, anybody else or if somebody else wants to pick up where they left off uh, on their perpetual thoughts. And so I've, I got like, I got my work where I go and grow synthetically and I'm fucking seriously on point. And then I have my home where I'm also perpetual, but I just fucking wing it and fuck writing anything down and just organic and most of the time just throwing water on things. So at work, it's fucking very strict. It's like, um, so when everything's on like a two everything's two weeks apart these little we have them all cycled out to be two weeks apart so it'll be it's got root it's a rooted cutting goes into a one gallon container after two weeks it moves into another area it's like we we got steps it stays in one gallon but it moves into another area it, st it goes, stays in that other area for two weeks and then it gets transplanted into the final pot, which is a three gallon pot. Um, it veges into that three gallon pot for two weeks and then it flips. And that's the cycle every time, all the time repeated. That's always going on. Uh, at home, I do it completely different. I just 
make sure that I've always got a cutting. If something goes into flour, it's got a cutting off of it, multiple cuttings off of it, so that I keep the genetics around. And then I just grow out all my cuttings. And I have a veg space where I just select out of this little two by four area, I select the best, you know, four plants. And then they go, they get potted into their final pot and veg for a couple of weeks and then they get flipped. So I just kind of have a holding space because I'm always growing new genetics. I'm not growing the same strain. I'm growing a bunch of different strains. So I'm just growing, I'm picking my strains that are, have grown the closest in height together. So I don't have to struggle with training to get them that way. And uh, I'm, of course, I'm also trying to pick the best, you know, the ones that are the most vigorous, the mo you know, the best, healthiest ones. And um, I'll cull a lot of plants out of veg, you know, that, you know, they were, they're growing runty or whatever, and I'll, or I'll just reset them. You know what I mean? They're, they're in a little, you know, one gallon pot and they should be in a, at least a five gallon pot, but it hasn't come out. It hasn't been selected yet. I'll just take a couple cuttings off of it and then throw that plant out, just reset it. So there's some plants that never see flowering. Um, but from seed, yeah. Yeah. I would say um, a lot, I would say dictates on his veg area and how big he wants to have plants because. Well, it's a two by four tent and a four by four tent. So. Okay. So he could probably get, well, if he does one, if he puts one in there every two weeks, Right. One in there every two weeks would probably be if you could get him big enough to to where he wants. That would be he could get a pretty decent size one in the two by four. But if that if he has a separate cloning area, he could get two two ready every two weeks and have them a little smaller, fit in the tent. It all depends. You could put the cloning area but, in the two by four in my you know, but Yeah, you could do that. Uh Medicrop had pointed out it's just simple math, really. If you know your strains, or if you definitely do a monocrop, then it's simple math. You if you need 16 to fill the space, you take 20 cuts, make sure you got 16 that are like evenly growing and you have that ready for when you want it ready and you can do it by math. But like I'm a Spartan, I just have a pretty, my veg area has grown over time so that I have room to keep the cuts that I want. And then I'll have seeds that I started and I'll try and keep things like I want to put these two or three in at the same time. So I could like, they'll be the same or whatever. And, uh, yeah, but you have to work it out yourself of what you got, in my opinion. I was going to mention earlier, I was kind of talking about the quickest way to get yourself to kind of harvesting uh, perpetually. If I was actually thinking about logically how to get the maximum yield, it would be to specifically look for the strain that you suspect to do the largest yield in your space and to do a monocrop, as boring as that might be. Um, if you were literally just looking for maximizing yield, I think doing a single strain or a few that you get really familiar with and uh, know grow well in your environment, and then just basically running those like, you know, a factory, essentially. Um, you could have a little clone area in your veg and then just pump them out, you know, as many clones as you need, veg them up as large as they need to be. You'll know how much they grow after flip after the first run or two. And then you can kind of expect, uh, you know, it's going to grow this much extra. We've got Dr. MJ about to join in here. So let me click on admit. But yeah, there's definitely lots of ways to uh, go about setting up a perpetual with a two by four and a four by four. So maybe since Dr. MJ just joined, I'll uh, pass it over to him. Doc, uh, can you hear me now? I saw that you have just joined and uh, now you unmuted. So welcome. 
Hey, yes. Welcome. Thank you. Um, yeah, Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. And I heard like as I was logging in, you're like, I'll ask Dr. Coco. So what was that about? The question was, uh, if you have a two by four and a four by four and you wanted to set up the maximum yielding perpetual grow, how would you go about doing that? Hmm. Um. Well, I guess I would try to, yeah, use the two by four as a, a veg tent and just keep the four by four supplied with, you know, new plants ready to flower every eight weeks or nine weeks, you know, the flower tent's going to have to be occupied. Um, it, it's questionable whether running it that way is really going to produce more yield over a stretch of time rather than just running both tents as independent grows. I mean, you could still stagger the, the timing of them, but... What if you grow autos? You know, I don't think it makes a huge difference if you grow autos or not. Um, I mean, it, it changes like the light cycle. It's not going to really change sort of much of the timing at least not for me because i veg my plants for about a month anyways and that's what like most autos veg for about a month so um yeah you could do that you could run either both tents like as full cycle tents and the advantage of doing that is you don't have to move the plants around um the setting up one tent is the veg tent and the other tent is the flower tent you know, the veg tent wouldn't be fully running all of the time, basically, because you don't need the full eight weeks that the veg tent or that the flower tent's going to be occupied in order to get the next crop of plants ready. It probably only takes four or five weeks to get the next crop of plants ready. So normally in a perpetual growth setup, you can have a, one veg tent supply two flower tents that are twice the size of the veg tent. So, you know, if you set this up as a veg tent to flower tent operation, you're basically have half as much flower tent capacity as that veg tent could supply. So for several weeks, every cycle, the veg tent's just gonna be empty. Um, and I'm, I don't really think that that's gonna be the best way to maximize yield over the stretch of time. It would probably be to have both tents running full-time um the problem with that is the four by four tent isn't going to be in flower a hundred percent of the time it would be only be in flower production you know two-thirds of the time and i'd have to like put a pen to paper to start figuring out you know where the whether you're losing or gaining in that situation You could still be flowering in the other tent too, though. So I think you'd still ultimately gain because you are allowed to have, you would be having plants under lights 24 7. I mean, most of the time, not 24 7, but most of the time in that second situation you described. Having a veg tent and a flower tent? No, having both tents be full cycle. Yes, having both tents full cycle. See, the way I'm thinking about it is the both tents full cycle plan the two by four tent is definitely going to be more productive in that plan. But in the, the separate veg tent and flower tent plan, 
the, the larger flower tent will be more productive in that right. plan. And to right. sort of see what, where, the, where the balance is going to come out, like I said, I think it's kind of going to be close. So it's a tough call. Doing the, the separate veg tent and flower tent always would give you the option of adding another four by four flower tent right. um, to that setup. And at that point, you, you'd really have, you know, more of a perpetual grow. You could be harvesting every four weeks instead yeah. of harvesting every eight weeks. Or even like a three by three, if you have a significant other who doesn't want another four by four, you'd be like, hey, it's just a three by three. It's a little smaller tent than the four by four. Yeah, uh, that's fine. It usually, I mean, the rules here are basically that by the time the plants fill the, the four by two, if you flip them to flower at that point, they'll double in size, right? Is sort of like the, the standard rule that we all follow. So if they have twice as much space, they can fill the twice as much space. So you you fill the veg tent until it's basically a full canopy that should take four weeks or whatever. It might take longer than that. Um, and then you put all of those plants into twice as much space. You flip them into a 12, 12 cycle. They double in size by the, the time they're done with the bolt and um, you're good to go. So if, if you had a, a three by three as one of the flower tents, yeah, maybe you just not veg them as long or use fewer plants on that side of the, the cycle. I think some people were considering a, a mother. The one thing that you brought up that I didn't even consider was going all autos in both tents. I think that might actually produce the ultimate, if we were talking about grams yeah. per square foot per year, if you just went all autos all the time, you, you are going to pay more on electricity depending on how hard you're running those lights for that 18 to 20 or even 24 hour on cycle. Yeah. So that's something to consider as far as, yeah, uh, and also air conditioning and dehumidification. You wouldn't need to even buy a tent. <laughs> you, you could just put them in the fucking room with lights on them. But I'm still at the position where even if you're running autos, I think you'd have the same question of, do you want to spend the first month in a smaller tent with the autos and then put them into a larger tent? I mean, autos do the same bolting that, that photo period plants do right as they start their reproductive stage. So they also basically double in size once they start flowering. Um, and you could flip that either way. The issue is having, think about the four by four tent. The four by four tent with maybe your best light, your best equipment, all the rest of that. You wanna put that to maximum productive use. It's more productive to use that light in that space in flower production than it is for vegetative growth. You can do your vegging growth under lower quality light um, in, you know, with less control of the climate because you're not worried about bud rot and other things like that. So oftentimes when growers set up to have different veg and flower spaces, one of the, the reasons there is you invest more heavily in the flower space and then you, you always want to have that space be used for flowering plants. Um, and so you, you do your vegging elsewhere. And as soon as one crop's done, you have another crop ready to move in that's ready to go into a 12-12 cycle or a longer cycle if they're autos. But just separating the, the reproductive growth from the vegetative growth. I definitely like the option of... Uh having the veg space because then you can either pop new seeds, like uh, roughly the time it takes you to fl flip the flower. I think you can start a seed right when you flip and it'll be ready whenever that crop comes down. 
And you can also have the option of like whatever cuts that you liked, keep those, mother them. And while the stuff's taking time to flower in the veg space, occupy the space with those vegging plants and get them basically to the size that you want them. Uh, and as soon as the harvest is ready to come down, you've got stuff backed up for it. So there's definitely lots of options. And I think that uh, we've definitely addressed this question. I'm curious if anybody else um, who hasn't dove in on this one has any thoughts or suggestions for the two by four and four by four setup. Well, my views on it is you want to maximize that that canopy space. And if you're just, if you got nothing in that canopy space at any moment, you're not producing anything there. That value of that space is very valuable. And there's nothing wrong with having your whole, even though you got a small flower tent, you can still have two different cycles in that tent of flowering plants to keep this a rotation going on to where you're, you're maximizing the use of your space. If that's not covered with something, a plant sitting there growing, you're not maximizing your space. And if you just take smaller plants and put them in your flower plant, well, then there's a lot of space that's not being utilized. If you got one that's, you know, two of them that's growing up good, and after, you know, a month later, the new ones are coming in, they don't need as much space. They can take some space until they grow into the space, the other ones come out. New small ones come out, the other ones got more space. Um, and the same thing with your veg tent. So having a veg tent and having a flower tent is is the way to go. I, I can't. Hey, what if you just don't have enough to... flower tent for the amount of veg tent that you have? You know what I'm saying? Like at some point your veg tent is going to have to be not put to fullest production because you could outproduce plants for your flowering space and that's what i think this situation is a, a four by two is just basically too much veg space to support just one four by four flower room um it's perfect yeah, to support clothes, two four by four flowers everything in there what's that what if you, you just can, you can run extra ones in your in your veg tent in your flower tent in your veg tent to have constantly having two plants going in there like spartan runs autos in his veg tent so that could be a way to make advantage of some of that unused space and unused time so like always yeah. have at least one auto in your veg tent the thing that i'm thinking about is is the mother plant is a way and just using that to always you know it and one of the things that you can do that i've done is keep it in a smaller pot and give it less light intensity it'll make it grow smaller and slower so granted, uh, it's not like you're optimizing growth the entire time that it's in there. But if you're worried about overproducing, you can give yourself uh, less energy bill by running lower lights and it just slows well, things down a little bit. I think if you're, if you're worried about maximizing production, you're not keeping a mother plant in this size operation anyways. Um, in order to justify a, a mother plant kind of comes down to a really expensive way to not buy seeds. Absolutely. I mean, you just got to keep running it and just keep recloning it. Clone, clone your plants that are in your bedroom 15 to 16 days before you flip. Do it routinely yeah. and you will keep those rooms full. Trust me. I agree. Yeah, and, and I kind of think that would be as well. Keeping the mother plant, it's just a lot of electricity that we're spending to keep that plant alive just to take cuttings from it. Right. I think of it as like a, whenever I was doing it, it was to hold on to a valuable genetic like cherry pie was one that I mothered for a while. And I gave it back to the guy who lost it. And I actually made the mistake of giving him like my mother plant instead of just giving him a cut. And then 
he ended up losing it again. So <laughs> the cherry pie that I have is gone. Um, but that's okay. I think that there's so many other great things out there and doing my own crosses and uh, getting to grow some of the American one and other guys on this panel. I know Brandon sent me some seeds that I haven't gotten to yet. I've got lots of genetics that I need to get to pop in. Uh, speaking of which, we talked about- They say about- you want- oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm saying they want, they want, they, they say you want you to change out your mother plants anyway. If you don't want to keep the same mother plants. Well, that's definitely a good, good uh, practice for sure. I think that um, at least once a year, is a good idea. Uh, sometimes do it, you know, some people do it the best clone every run they'll keep as their mother. Um, but there's a whole bunch of different methods and processes. Some people, like they said, just Noah said, just take clones before you go into flower and then you can use those as your next run. So there's lots of ways of going about doing it. It's just, uh, everybody knows, I guess what they're comfortable with and what works for them. And there's lots of right and wrong ways of doing it. I mean, um, unfortunately, sometimes people will take a round of cuts and, they fail and they don't have a, a backup and then it just like they lose that genetic if that's why it's always good to have friends that also grow so you have something to back it up because well, it's always I 15 that. days i mean if you if you're been cloning for any amount of time 15 days you should have at least start of roots on you know just about any system you're running and if you don't you can always take another set before you throw it into flower at least correct four. you know take four because yeah there's nothing worse than loving a plant and losing it and if you go by, if you don't put anything in flower, unless you have one rooted, then that's one way you'll keep it. But that's, you know, shit happens. Are these Gemini seeds or just like normal photo seeds? Because then that's a whole nother ballgame, right? Am I correct? Yeah, that? that's definitely a good point. That's a consideration. Like you can use I mean, something like um, if you're going to grow reg seeds, like I just grew Amy Aces from the American one and I used Farmer Freeman sex testing. So I knew before I flipped the flower, which ones were male and which ones were female. Um, it's still possible to fuck it up and mislabel. Like out of a hundred plus tests, I did that one time. So I must've like clipped the thing and then put the you know stake in the wrong plant. Uh, one of the things that came back female was and ended up being a male because I messed up the tags, but the other hundred, I uh, have all been good. So I got to say, he's got a great service there. And, and there's many other good ones too. I'm not like paid by him to say that or anything, but I've had good experiences and he also grows at home. So shout out to Farmer Freeman and anybody else out there who's allowing people the option to know if their plants are male or female beforehand. And also the breeders like Kyle Breeder, who's not with us tonight. I think he's at a convention representing his feminized seed work that you can find at pbreeding.com or pure breeding on all the social media platforms. So cheers to him. Great dude. And, uh, I think Brandon also has some fem work as well, but and, and oh, I know doctor. Was... Oh, sorry, Jack. How how long how long were those veg in there? These ones are from seeds. They're entering. They are in week five now. Entering week like five. Weeks. Yeah. And how from much seeds. longer? Would, how much longer yeah. are you going to wait till you put them into flower? I'm flipping in a few days, probably. I was looking okay. at them. I'm seeing the space here. I never grew into such a small space. So, but I'm looking at the space I have. So I cannot give them much longer. Right. So yeah, is, is that a three by three or four by four? This one is a three by three. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it looks like it'll fill that space if you flip in a few days. Because that's like another. Pot? Yeah. What size of the pots? Good point. This okay, you guys are not. They look like three gallons. He's got leaders. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) it's 
So it's five gallons, 16 liters. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That's a good, good size. I think they'll definitely fill that space out. Yeah. But that's another uh, issue with the uh, perpetual. If you got plants that are slow growers or fast growers, it could, it could be an issue with timing. If you, if you try and not have a veg area. Experience is the uh, greatest teacher of all, right? Yeah, and I think it's another genetics. There's a couple of quick sort of principles about doing a perpetual grow like this. Um, one is that flower is about twice as long as veg. To the extent that that's true, you need twice as many flower spaces as you have veg spaces. The other sort of rule is that plants in flowering double in size. So the veg size needs to be about half the size of the flower size. Um, but if you're using regular seeds, about half of the plants will be male. So in that case, the veg size should equal the flower size. Um, you know, every grow is a little bit different, but those are the basic sort of principles about setting up spaces that you would need. So the basic thing that, that I, I think is missing about this perpetual grow is you only have the one four by four flower tent with the second four by four flower tent. That would be the easy call in terms of which way to set this up. And also if you grow something like blue dream, uh, expect like triple quadruple in size, not just double. Cause that shit grows like a motherfucker. Yeah. Man. It goes and goes and goes. And no, it's okay if they double it, it's sort of, you need them to at least double to, to refill in the canopy. Basically, if you do it the other way, then you have to be sort of under density limits during veg because the plants are half as big. So the idea is, you know, say you can put eight plants in a four by four. Um, that's a lot for me, but people grow like that. Um, you could start your eight seedlings in the four by two and all eight will fit in the four by two. Um, and fill up that space better. So you're better utilizing that space to grow eight vegetating plants. And by the time they're really full in there, you move them to the bigger space and they go into the bolt and they fill up that next space. Um, If you only can do say four in the four by two and you do a full cycle grow, then, you know, those four vegging plants, that whole vegging period is less efficient. You could have twice as many plants in there. I have to address something in the chat that I just saw because um, this is actually uh, something that even in non-cannabis gardening that you can see, I don't necessarily know if it's a great thing as far as health is concerned of your plants. They say um, soil biota guru, uh, perma warrior says, I've found keeping them in solo cups. They show sex within the fifth or sixth node. Well, my only counter to that is if they're starting to show sex, within their solo cup. Um, and this isn't just with cannabis, but I think that, that there's an indication of stress. It's being root bound to the point that it's changing its hormones. Um, when a plant flowers just in nature and in general, that's usually like an end of life. It's trying to you know reproduce. So if it's happening at that young of a stage in life, I think I don't mind seeing sex in veg, um, but I'd rather it happen from the plant being maybe more mature. I've just kept it around long enough and it was in a large enough pot, but if it's in a small pot and it's, you know, cause if it's a male, for example, candy rain got a lot of pushback when cookies did that drop. Cause a lot of their males were throwing when people were in solo cups and it was pollinating rooms, um, which is not a great thing. So I would definitely caution, I guess, about trying to 
like force your plants to sex by keeping them in solo cups. I'd rather transplant to, at the right you time. You have to ask yourself yep. why, right? Yeah. Like, why is it that that is working the way that it is? And, you know, is that like what would happen under different conditions, what we might call more normal. And as far as, um, you know, the debate about the growing styles, I like to, I'm a big fan of the dramatic irony school of thought, which is that if you uh, get a small space or, you get a, um, a pulley for your light system, or you don't have a pulley for your light system, rather, your plants will definitely outgrow the system because that would be problematic for you. And of course that's gonna happen. Um, so if you really want your plants to grow really well, get a really small space and then, um, you know, let them, uh, <laughs> let them prove it, that your, uh, your careful calculations are wrong, uh, particularly with things like Blue Dream, right, Jack? Oh shit. When I used to have a LEC or a CMH bulb and I was growing in my closet, I was growing blue dream and, uh, I think it was three gallon pots of cocoa. I vegged for like 60 days from seed and let them rip. They just like wanted to grow right through the roof of the tent. And, uh, but they ended up, the quality was very, very good. They didn't look the greatest, but the smell taste and, uh, effects were awesome. So definitely still happy with the results to this day. I want to say cheers to smart poker. Who's got a harvest hanging up over there. He just joined us as well. So I'm going to spotlight him and uh, let him say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. Nice to be on the show. Girl, hey, what's up? Good, good to see you. I mentioned you earlier with the, uh, the can of troll and the, the curing. Yeah. yeah. That's why I jumped on. I figured if, uh, if you wanted me to show it to you real quick, these are dosy does we just harvested. Uh, we're running Let's see, 63 and 54 right now. Um, here's some dosy dough that we harvested, uh, what was it, about 10, 11 days ago. So it, it's actually out of the can of trawl now. And uh, it's amazing. So it still has a green flavor. Like you can taste that green undertone, but the terps are, are pretty wild. As you break it up, it really hits you. I noticed that it's not a real strong smell when it first comes out of that thing. But when you start busting it up, it, uh, it really gets good. And then there's our little, uh, that was the, whoop, that was the party cup right there. My wife nice. did a party cup. Um, yeah, man, I've been a long time fan of this show. Uh, I've been watching ever since like you took over Jack. This is the first time I've been on. So I'm a chatter. It's nice to finally be on here and uh, shout out to everybody in chat who always puts up with me. That's a beautiful sight. So I this love is the that troll. And, and one thing I wanted to say just while you're kind of uh, showing it off is yeah, um that yeah, awesome. thing is so cool. That green flavor you're getting, I think if you just let it cure for another few weeks after it's out of the canatrol, you're gonna notice that start to go away. That was one of the reasons I actually prefer the herbs now to dry my buds and then the the curador to cure and store. Uh, was the herbs now was able to get more of the what I would call VOCs, volatile organic compounds like chlorophylls that give it kind of that green flavor uh, out in the earlier drying process. So that when it's stored and cured, you're getting more of just the terpenes and other things that are going to hang around. But um, I think they're both amazing products if used properly and you're going to slowly dial this thing in. And uh, people were always asking what that little thing is. They're like, is that concentrate? That's a sponge people. Cause uh, I saw about a hundred people asking your Instagram. <laughs> that thing is a sponge to help awesome. the moisture. Very <laughs> ambitious to put that much concentrate in there like that. <laughs> yeah uh it's supposed to do 2.2 pounds at a time so i packed it full our friend uh who's on the show sometimes crack baby there in the chat crack baby's dwc he also has one of those and he was able to use his first and uh he's got good results with his so 
Uh, we've had a lot of bad cures, man. I think curing and drying is something that a lot of people struggle with. And maybe some people are even afraid to mention it sometimes, you know, but uh, that's a way like with it being illegal here in Pennsylvania, uh, it's a way for us to try and keep all of our stuff in one room here and still be able to run a tent at 83 degrees and have that thing running two feet away, you know, and, uh, and still get a good cure. So I guess it's kind of buying our way out, but that's what I needed, you know, to, to preserve all the work that we're doing here. It's peace of mind too. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. my wife, Crispy. Everybody in chat knows Crispy wannabe. She says hello. Hello everyone. Cheers. We got hey, lots, of, lo lots of love for both of you Cheers, guys. Yeah. What's up, Crispy? Your love, Crispy. Your love. <laughs> Thank you. You guys couldn't be more right, though. I mean, a lot of people underestimate the drying and the curing. They don't set up a, a space for it or they just don't anticipate how difficult it is to really perfect it. I'd say that's probably one of the biggest arts of cannabis growing is actually perfecting your drying cure in your region because everybody's it's a little yeah, hotter, or colder, drier. And um, it definitely how much airflow you can get going or, you know, how stagnant you want the air. There's a whole lot of debate on exactly how to best dry and, and cure cannabis. So I think getting something like that where you can have it consistent every single time. What's the, can you go back over to the device and show you said they have a suggested, I think it's like 68 degrees, which I've mentioned many, many times is the, yeah, that thing is so cool. So you have it at 67.5, which is below 68, 68 is where volatile uh, terpenes start to flash off like the lowest temperature. A lot of them go at like 75, but 68 is the lower temperature where you're going to start to lose terpenes. Right. Some people are yeah. asking what's the difference between that and a wine fridge too, if you could answer that as well. Um, all right. So I was trying not to get like real long winded and hijack the show over this thing. But if you want to know, like we did, uh, we did, we had a, an interview with the guy that, uh, that created this machine, him and his wife, uh, really nice people. And if you call there, like he's accessible, you can talk to him. Um, so anyhow, this is the shitty part. I, I didn't see it on paper and we all know how it is. Whenever, uh, I heard this, I heard that, but so you take this as you want, uh, the guy, that invented it said that, that what they did was they grew jelly bean and acapulco gold they uh they harvested the um they harvested the middle of the plant they kind of like mixed up the colas they sent half to a dry cure tent kind of like i have going on here and they sent half into the box here the canatrol and when they sent it out for testing which i didn't see the results i was just told the results they were uh 60 more terpenes which i found astonishing and 20% more THC, which I'm not sure how all that works, but uh, it sounded good, right? I mean, yeah, let me just point out. Usually, yeah, point it out one good. quick, Smite, that the humidity level, that's a dew point humidity. Yes. It's not relative humidity because some people, well, right, it's a different. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with it. So okay. the, next, yeah. the next thing was I asked the guy, like, why is that? So I Maybe some, I don't want to get this wrong, so maybe someone can clear it up if I do. Uh, the way he explained it was, is if you take like a clear box, all right, and you put a teaspoon of water in it, if you change the temperature of the box, you're going to inherently change the relative humidity because it's just that, it's relative to the temperature. But to get the dew point, it would be the same all the time. It's an actual measurement of the moisture in the air versus what it can hold, I guess. Yes. So what he this said- it's the same difference between absolute humidity and relative. Yeah, I was going to say exactly that. Yeah. There's, <laughs> you know, there's a certain amount of water in the air and a certain amount of water vapor. And yeah. there's a, a capacity for air to hold water. Um, so the relative humidity 
is how much of that capacity is filled. So 100% relative humidity means 100% of the air's ability to hold water is filled. But the amount of water that is 100% relative humidity is entirely dependent on the, the temperature. So this is, you know, if it's 100% humidity and 80 degrees Fahrenheit and the temperature drops, water will precipitate out of the air. Um, and that's the, the dew point, essentially, is the point at which the water will start precipitating out of the air, the point at which 100% relative humidity, whatever, changes. Like the air is fully saturated at that point. <laughs> So I wanted right. to say, somebody asked about the wine fridge. A wine fridge, you don't have the ability to change the RH. I don't know if his is just right. running the RH or if you can regulate the RH. But, it regulates uh, it on its own, I believe. You would regulate the dew point on this and it would inherently change the RH, but you don't really have control over that, you know? Um, so you can do you, what's there's no a, button to go up and down for humidity or whatever it says. Uh, for dew point. Yes, there is. It's called a step and slope system. So I guess what it is is they had this set up from the factory. That that was where when I was getting to. You mentioned like the 68 degrees. So I called and that's exactly what I said was, should I make it colder? Will that be better? And I guess based on the, the test that they did, they found that the parameters that it comes preloaded with were the best results in their tests that they got back. So uh, I just, this is only the second time I've loaded it. So we're just right now using it on default settings. So after a four day dry, and a four-day cure, it goes into standby mode, which is long-term storage, and uh, you don't have to jar them up or anything. This thing, you don't have to burp. You know, it'll kind of hold it for us. So, yeah, we're excited. Sure. About it. It's definitely a, a cool product. Uh, the, the difference between, I guess, that and the Curador is, I think the Curador, the temperature doesn't go up that high. I think it only goes up to, like, uh, 65 at the max, and... I think the reason that the results might be better when it was a little bit warmer could be that it's allowing the dry to happen a little bit more quickly. Um, the colder you get, the slower the dry happens. So like a lot of people used to hang 14 days uh, at 60, 60. So if it's 60 degrees, it's going to dry a little bit more slowly than at 68. And I don't know if that's a big enough difference to make 10 days, but uh, it depends on how much air is flowing through there. And I, I don't know. My, the other thing that I was going to say is the Curador I have does not have a, like um, water outlet on the back, like uh, the back of that Canatrol, he has like a dehumidifier wood where there's a um, hose that goes out and it's uh, there's water being caught for the people that listen to the podcast and aren't able to see this live on YouTube right now. He showed that off a little earlier and he's showing it right now. Um, so that is one of the other differences that I don't see with wine fridges or the Curador. I think the Curador is more like a wine fridge where wine fridges you can set it to a temperature and usually that temperature mirrors the relative humidity. So like if it's 60 degrees, it's 60 RH. Um, but the Curador, it stays about 59 to 60 RH, whether it's 55% uh, or 55 degrees or 65 degrees, it doesn't fluctuate. I've just put my little uh, hygrometers in there. It keeps 59 to 60% RH all the time, regardless of the temperature, interestingly enough, because it's not a huge swing. It's like only a 10 degree swing. Right. Um, I think the one, the takeaway that I got from talking to that guy was that uh, one of the things that was, uh, I guess, as you mentioned, the temperature was more to keep from going off the volatile, uh, burning off the volatile compounds or whatever at that temperature. But 
I guess the bigger important was the dew point and how fast the moisture uh, is released from your product. I guess that is a big factor in like carrying the terpenes away, I would assume. Like that's how I see it in my head. If you can smell it, it's like off gassing, I guess. So um, I guess that, that's where the, that's where it kind of caught me off guard was I thought temperature was much more important than the way they made it sound. At least to, I, I, we all know going over certain numbers bad, but I was under the impression like 60 degrees would preserve a lot more. And I guess that just didn't work out as far as the test. But again, we're testing it out, we're seeing, and um, we'll be happy to report to everybody and let them know and give them a, a, a true thing. Cause like, I have no connection with those people. That's just something we bought to uh, save our ass here. How much does a thing like that cost? I'm sorry. I think that one's 1600. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It's 1550 plus shipping, which is a lot for us. We saved up for it. So I'm kind of proud to have it, man. You know, I, I'm a construction yeah. worker. So that's, that's a big chunk oh, yeah. of cash. I think that's a big chunk of yeah. change for anybody. That, that's like a rent thing in California. Fair no expense on our That's what it's supposed to do. Yeah, but it's, to do. That's it's an investment, you know, and if you're growing, honestly, like with the cost of uh, medical product in Pennsylvania, I can imagine you guys will get ROI uh, return on investment really quickly. And yes, it'll be a, a nice peace of mind for you to know, hey, it's not ever going to get too hot. And my cure will likely not have like, oftentimes, I think people do get the hay smell, whether it dried too fast, it got too hot. Uh, maybe there's too much airflow. Um, whatever it is, I, I've smelled that on a lot of home growers cannabis. Um, it could just be the wrong time of year, whatever it is, but uh, drying and curing is definitely a, a tricky one to go about. I'm curious, uh, Potent Ponics, what are your thoughts on uh, drying and curing? Do you have a particular range that you like to keep it in? Um, we usually, I usually keep mine at 55% when I do mine, and then we'll keep it in the upper 50s. I find the slightly cooler um, tends to... Um, uh, have it uh, work a little bit better and again just like you're talking about preserve the terps a little bit more um, and how long do you uh, keep it in that most of the time between 10 and 14 days it just depends on um, on checking the moisture content with the stems um, that's the easiest way and then just you know feeling the buds you know with your gloves on do you um, compare like for me a lot of the times the like thicker upper buds those will snap later than like a smaller bud. So are you waiting for the, the thicker stems to start popping before you're pulling it or what's well, the yeah. metric? Yeah. So when we're taking them down, we'll kind of separate the bigger, thicker stuff and, and put them on the kind of the more left side of the rack and the smaller stuff, maybe more on the right as an, you know, one example. Uh, and then a lot of times we have these freestand, most of the time for the bigger operations, they have these freestanding. Um, it's almost like the, uh, like hog hogs. Um, what do you call it? hog screen it's yeah like, like a fence uh, yeah it's like a 14 inch squares or 12 inch squares <clears throat> and then they're on a big freestanding rack so you can just hang everything up and then you can move them around and put your fans in and get it all arranged uh, and then it's also nice because you can take them once everything's down and you can clean them really easily you can give them a good spray down and, and clean them really well uh, and they're not a huge pain in the ass to clean as far as labor have you uh, seen any of those it's like a wood um, moisture meter gauge. Have you tried any of those things? I, I've got one and I've messed around with it a little bit, but I'm just curious if you've seen them or tried them. I have not had a chance to, to play with them much. Usually uh, the operations I'm going into, uh, they have kind of all that, you know, figured out by the time I'm, I'm getting there. But uh, at home, I just uh, uh, hang it up in a grow tent, kind of similar to like what they had there and, 
and do it that way just because we never really harvest that much at any one time, you know? And it works, honestly. And you grow the feel, I guess, like of knowing when it's ready. I think um, sometimes it's easy to think maybe it's a little too dry, like if it gets a little crispy on the outside, but that could just be like the external leaf and uh, the internal bud is still just fine. So it's definitely about kind of mastering that touch of uh, when it's still spongy, not quite dried out and uh, still dank and sticky. I wanted to add something too. We were talking about the root bound plants uh, stressing. I see that a lot in Oklahoma with people's moms. They'll put their moms in like five gallon or 15 gallon pots and they'll grow them for six months or 12 months. And they should be in way bigger pots if they're going to do that. And then the thing starts flowering off and they're like, well, I don't understand. It's in, it's in the, uh, um, you know, under 16 hours or 18 hours. Uh, and what did it, those plants tend to be the ones that herm on you, you know what I mean? Those, those lines, cause if it's stress flowering, that, that's the same kind of situation that's going to trigger that, that herming. So, you know, that, that can be a great way to stress out your plants. If you're trying to really work your lines and make them super, super resilient, um, that can be a great way to, you know, say, Hey, is this a, a super keeper? You know, do I want to make sure I can eliminate that as a, uh, you know, and reduce my herm potential. And that can be a great way to test them for that aside from light leaks. I've even seen uh, some bonsai or people that are keeping mothers for a long time, remove the uh, pot and then they'll cut off some of the exterior uh, roots so that it has the ability to regrow back into, and they'll plant it into a little bit larger pot with the, or just even new medium in that space that they cut out just to maintain it without uh, having it be so root bound in a smaller pot. So there's definitely some techniques and uh, cool stuff. You can look around Instagram, mostly the bonsai people that are really uh, get aggressive with like that root chopping, but it's amazing how you can keep plants for a long time and not have them go into flower. If you are diligent about really the roots dictate so much of the plant. So keeping them healthy and happy, um, the plant will tend to be healthy and happy, but if they're in there for five or six months under 18 hours of light, and they're basically, uh, crammed in tiny little pair of shoes, because by the time a plant's six months old, it's going to be giant. So, uh, especially depending on how much it's pruned, but it's, uh, interesting to see in, in new markets like that in Oklahoma, because to be honest, I don't see a lot of that out here in California, but people aren't typically keeping uh, six month mothers, you know, like no other growers saying a lot of them do. Uh, just take the cuts each run and then recycle it that way. Well, to to more to like what Steve's point was was getting at is that was probably one of the hardest things for me to learn as a home grower. And probably the thing that held me back in progressing the most was I wanted to hold on to everything. I, I didn't want to let things go. And um, with all of the genetics that are out here right now, there's so many good genetics out here that man, you, instead of looking for what's good, you just have to look for what's bad. You just have to be a pessimist when you're a grower anymore. You just have to say, do I find anything wrong with this plant? Because if I find anything wrong with this plant, right. I could probably find, I, I could probably grow a hundred plants where I can't find right. anything wrong with, you know? So, so that's, that, it's a whole mindset change that you have to have. It's, it's a, it's a funny thing. Yeah, I agree with that too. That's why I grow new seeds every run. It's like, there's just so much new stuff that I want to try. And to be honest, mm -hmm. there's only even one strain out of the probably close to a hundred I've grown over the past couple of years, since I've just started popping seeds, every single grow that I didn't love, you know, I, I, like almost all of them. I was like, this is pretty good. Like I'd probably grow it again, but I want to try something else out, see what else is out there. There's so many options. And like dog doctor said earlier, it's just so cool when you can look at a strain. It's like, I think he called it gorilla blue. I think it was what he was growing. It's like a gorilla glue crossed to a blue something or something or other like that. When you see like, oh, I like both these parents, I've tried them or maybe just like what I've heard about them. And then you get to grow out 
that cross and see, you know, is it going to lean towards one parent or the other and how it works in your garden. And, you know, maybe you'll grow it again, but maybe you just want to grow whatever that next new thing is that catches your curiosity. There's so many options out there, like literally hundreds, thousands of uh, different breeders. So I think uh, people should definitely keep growing new stuff, different stuff and uh, find that unicorn that uh, strikes your fancy. Did you than- see that statement that 2020 Mendocino put out on Instagram about um, autoflowers? That they're going to make them like more potent and more desirable. And it says higher quality, higher potency, higher, higher, everything basically. And then they spelled it out. They didn't just make a boast. They didn't just make like a boast. Then they spelled it out, how they were going to do it, why they're going to do it. And the science basically behind their thought process. And it sounds good, man. It's making me excited. It's like, you know, when I'm stuck in a plant count state and I don't have to, I can, if I could actually get plants that, you know, whatever it says on the package, that's what I get. And not a variation of 20 different things, man, how would, that's a pretty big advantage. Not having to hold on to mother plants, not having to have little baby plants. I just pop my plant count in seeds and uh, harvest the whole thing. Yeah. But then the government can pack the living crap out of it. I think that's like, that's like a dystopian world where the government packs every last cannabis plant. I've been talking about necessarily though. You'd it have could to buy happen that way. Every run, every single run, you'd have to buy seeds, though. No, man, you do your own breeding project. You oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, just do your own. You just do your own that breeding project. Too. He's you not alone in, in pushing autoflowers in the fact that, like uh, Jeff Lowenfels is a pretty prominent uh, cannabis author, I would say, who wrote a you know DIY autoflower cannabis book, and he's really excited about the autoflowers that are coming out. And there's, um, we had uh, Dan from formerly Full Duplex, but now Gnome Automatics who's really pushing the, you know, things with uh, autoflowers and getting their potency up and making them desirable. And every single um, one of his plants, like the coal miner's daughter that I've seen, it's like black every single time. Every one of the um, ALF, I believe, uh, he has two. There's ALF and then he has actually way more. There's Damascus. He has so many different crazy crosses. Um, his but, number one is Anvil. And then he has Anvil ALF, is what I was thinking of. And then he has the coal miner's daughter. And like you said, Alf and Anvil are his kind of go-to. Coleman and daughter's kind of gone off it, and he has so much new stuff coming out. So. Him and Kyle Breeder have a project that they're working on that are about to release. But yeah, he's really just an awesome dude. He's been literally doing it over a decade, um, and the proof is in the pudding. Look at Autoflower Network. You can go on autoflowernetwork.com. I think he even like helped write the base code. He like helped code that website to help that be out there. And um, I remember, and I've smoked them. I've had buddies who've grown them out and had samples of Lowrider and the early Autoflowers. They were literally like garbage. You could not get high off of them. The taste, flavor, they looked okay. They were purple. And you, you got these really tiny little plants that did autoflower, but they were not anywhere close to what you would want today. Like what we're seeing from Mephisto, uh, even like Chef Anna, we were talking about the thing earlier with uh, autos being in perpetual. The way he does it, he just has a bunch of autos all at different stages and he yields a shit ton. He gives out weed all the time. Like go look at his Instagram. He's giving out people weed at Walmart. He's having cops hold on to plants. Like, uh, He's doing uh, they. I want to say because uh, I don't want to. He's like literally gender. walking down the street with a fully flowered plant. Yeah, yeah like a like, in a little small. Hey, pot what's like, up? Hey, can you hold this? He hands it to a cop and like ties a shoe. Uh, it was great. <laughs> I've got that post. I want to try to share it real quick. No, it says I'm disabled. That's uh, from. Anyways, allowed you to. You can share screen now if you want. Okay. Because they're asking me in chat about what the tag is and stuff and where I saw it. So I just want to share it. It makes it easy. 
So this is the account here, 2020 Mendocino. Their breeder, Adam, over there, I know him. But uh, here's their statement right here. And I don't know if we want to read this whole thing out, but basically they're saying, you know, you can breed so much faster without a flowers. They got such a shorter life cycle. You can get through the breeding process and get to your end goal so much faster than if you have to breed with photoperiod plants. So it makes a lot of sense. But is that really true? I mean, I, I can grow photos, especially in a breeding project, as fast as I can grow autos. In fact, yeah. you can make an argument that you could grow them faster because I could flip photos, you know, after about 10 days and it's going to take the autos another two weeks after that before they start to flip into reproductive growth. So I, I don't know if I buy that premise. I, I would say people, that, because, people that grow photos don't it. grow them as, as quick as autos, at least the breeders that I've, I've watched. They grow stuff out. They, you know, they'll mother a plant. They'll get cuts. They'll be like, I like this one the most. I'm going to do a breeding project with that one. Where with autos, you have no other choice, but then this run, I'm taking the best male and best females and crashing them together because right. otherwise it's ethereal. It's gone forever. I, so, I, I completely agree that breeding with autos reduces the, the amount of choice you have over the vegetative cycle and the length of the vegetative period. But that's it. I don't think it necessarily makes things faster or necessarily makes things slower. I think it just reduces your control as a breeder. So yeah. I, I definitely don't think it just makes it faster. You're, you're right. A lot of breeders don't breed plants faster than autos, but you could. It if your goal is to get through several generations, you certainly could. So on, I feel, it depends so on a lot of factors what your goal is, because that's not necessarily true, Jack. You could take an autoflower male, collect all the pollen, and breed down the line and use that same pollen if, if you know that's what you want to do. Right. So there's ways, yeah, that the females are limited the to problem. their one reproductive cycle. That that part is true, but you could save the the males. the The ability to to select pollen effectively is, I mean, it's always been in plant breeding a, a pretty hit and miss thing. Um, and you know, farmers that save seeds tend to look at different criteria for their their pollen than they do, especially in hybrid breeding programs. Um, so so I, I don't know. The other thing I just wanted to push back a little bit about, it was somebody was talking about you have to buy seeds each run. Um, that's true about a lot of different types of varieties, but nobody forces you to necessarily grow those varieties. Um, most farmers of most prayer annual crops uh, buy seeds every year because the reliability of those seeds is better. The production of those seeds is better than what they can do from their own efforts to save seeds. Um, but nobody forces them to sort of make those decisions. So I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily a reason to, to go one way or the other. I, I was, I mean, I was oh, yeah. taking that from face value. I mean, this is a breeder who has done photo period breeding for as long as I can remember. And now they're breeding autos, and this was the reason that they gave. I had to be like, well, they right. bring more plants than me. I'm going to have to take their word for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fine. My issue, my issue with autos is that having grown them both at pretty large scales, the consistency is just not there yet. Like, I have yet to find any auto lines that truly are relatively consistent in terms of size and structure and yield. And I can't count on them the same way as if I clone a really good line, I know that all of those plants, if I'm planting five acres, I, you know, I've got an, I need to count on that, that yield coming back in. 
you know, with well, the same you said for photo. I really believe that if we get to the point where now where we're growing cannabis is that kind of a crop. It, we're not going to go the route of cloning. We'll go the route of, of hybridization, of inbred um, parental lines that create stable F1 hybrids. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's how most other large scale crops are, are done from seed. It's just worthy to note that it's not like that right now in cannabis because most of the large scale operations aren't truly like that large as far as ag is concerned. We're still more like horticultural. A lot of it's like greenhouse. Uh, we have some large scale outdoor farms and some of them are growing seed. A lot of them are growing autos. A lot of them are growing feminized uh, hemp and just feminized crops in general. But like Spartan was saying, let's be honest, a lot of those feminized crops are not as consistent as somebody who's cloning um, or even just growing a more consistent line from seed. So yes. I think that there are breeders out there. Um, you may not have had the you know, benefit of growing them quite yet. Um, it might even be difficult to source them and, and figure out who's actually doing the good work. But I think that there are people that are line breeding stuff out to F8, F9, and then taking that to other F8s. No worries. I'm getting the Hold on, Jack. It, it's important to understand that that's not the way that a lot of other, that real, I mean, that like modern varieties of corn, soy, cotton, that's not the way that we produce those seeds at all. All of those seeds are F1s. They're created by the same two parent plants that are inbred lines that are crossed to create stable F1 hybrids. Um, and those F1s, you can't really save the seeds because the F2 does not display the same characteristics as the F1. They don't breed true. But the F1s have heterosis. They have the hybrid vigor that comes from the the crossing inbred parents, basically, it eliminates the deleterious recessive alleles, um, or the, at least the expression of them. And um, it, it creates stability in the, the um, parent line. So there is consistent uniformity. When you're a corn farmer and you're gonna be harvesting with a combine that drives through the field, you need all of your ears of corn to be between 38 and 42 centimeters off the ground. And, and, you know, you have to have that consistency or you won't harvest them at all. So the most consistent way to get plants is actually um, through F1 hybridization. Right. And I was just saying, like, they, they make F8s and I was going to get to the point that that's basically an inbred line. And then they cross those to other unrelated F8s to make those F1s. But I want to pass it over to an S8, Jack. An S8 would be an inbred line. I feel if like it had a, been selfed 10 times or eight times or whatever. And that is actually how they, they create those, those homozygotic inbred lines. But yeah, an S8, and then you cross two different S8s, a male S8 and a female S8 to create the, the F1 that's a pure hybrid. All righty, well, I wanna pass it to Spartan Grown and we could maybe touch back on that before we finish up. But uh, Spartan, do you have any final thoughts and shout outs before you get rolling over to Michigan Bros Bro Show? I just cheers everybody jumped on the panel. Thanks everybody jumping on. It was awesome to see everybody. Um, I'm not going to name all of you guys because I'm lazy. <laughs> shout out to chat, man. You guys are hopping today. I don't, I don't have the YouTube video portion up, but it looks like we have a lot of people in chat today. So that was awesome. And uh, shout out to the regular panelists, man. Awesome for everyone to talk with you guys this week, catch up. And uh, I'll be out to the Michigan Bros Grow Show here pretty soon. So uh, catch me there. I'll be there in about 15 minutes. Fuck the MCMA. Peace out, Spartan. Thanks as always. Girls love, buddy.
So, Doc, I had a question just to follow up on what you're talking about. Um, yeah. So the only way to get to an IBL, you're saying, is through selfing. You can't get to it through filial breeding then? There's no amount of F generations that would make an inbred line? No, the, the inbred means that you're inbreeding it. You're, you're that's what filial it. breeding is doing. You're taking a brother to a sister. That's within the same family. You're narrowing that genetic pool, making it more and more inbred every single line. Every I F2 feel like is, it was parental. Filial is, I thought it meant like within family, like F, F1, F2, F3. Yeah, I think the, the Latin word means related to the family. Or the father, yeah, sorry. Um, Typically in cannabis, though, how we've described, how I've had it described to me, at least, is when you hear something being described as F2 or F3, they're taking, like, let's say I made Velvet Punch, right? There's an F, F1 of that. The yep. cross of that is Cookie 7, and um, I'm blanking on the other male um, that was used. It's, Punch. It's... And then they, those that cross made an initial cross, right? And then I took the a brother and sister from that generation of F1 cross it's not a true f1 because it's really a polyhybrid that i'm working with but um yeah if you stay in the same line then but, but then are you crossing the offspring back to the parents or are you crossing the offspring to others of the same generation other things of the same generation then it's going to take a lot longer several more cycles to get to homozygosity and people, I is F6, F9, F16, but I think at a certain point you lose, um, your, your, your ultimate goal is just trying to narrow the genetics down to the point where it's 100% uniform. You're not looking for vigor because once they cross that uniform gene into another exactly. uniform gene, that's where you get the uh, heterosis. Right. You're looking for plants to have the same copy for every gene at, at both loci. So you get one copy from your parents and one copy from your, your, from each of your parents, right? From your mother and your father, um, and implants from the pollen donor and from the, the, the female plant that's creating the seeds. Um, it, you want that to be the same at each thing. So you don't want any to have like A and B. You want them to all be AA. And the next point is BB, AA, BB, whatever. You need them all to be the same. It doesn't even matter what they are. Just you need homozygosity. Um, and the best way to, to get homozygosity is through selfing. It usually takes eight, seven or eight generations of selfing to create a, an almost perfectly homozygotic plant. Um, and so what they do in corn breeding, for example, is they'll take any corn plant, self it seven times and cross it with another corn plant that's been selfed seven times. Every child of that cross is going to be genetically identical because the, the father, it's got to give it, you know, when the genes separate meiosis, it, you know, if it's got AA at both sides, then the child's going to get an A. And if the mother has BB at both sides of that, then the child is going to be BA. Every child is going to be BA because it gets a B from its mother and an A from its father. The father can't give it anything other than an A because it only has two copies of A. The mother can't give it anything other than a B because she only has two copies of B. So every single child is B from the mother, A from the father. And if parents are homozygotic for every gene, 
then the children will be heterozygotic for every gene. That creates what's known in biology as heterosis or heterozygotic advantage, that you're not going to have any any AAs or any BBs. They're all going to be AB or BA or whatever. They're all going to be two different copies of something. And what that does is it eliminates deleterious recessive alleles. So the, the bad things that only express when you get two copies of them. Um, the parents often express those deleterious recessive alleles. So the parents that they use for crossing are often weak and sickly pants. But through dominance, when you cross that with something else that doesn't have those same genes, they become stronger and they don't have any of that. So that's really what, what scientists think leads to heterosis or why plants that are bred this way are more vigorous than plants that aren't. Um, it's not really a, a way that most cannabis breeders are pursuing breeding plants though. I will say that. CSI Humboldt's been trying. He did S1, S2. And then when he got to like S3, he's starting to see a lot of issues with hermaphrodism, but they're yep. trying to yep. uh, use the inbred through selfing. And you got to push those. through that. So that would be my advice. You got to push through that. The, the parent plants in this process are not going to be desirable, not even a little bit. They may be expressing a whole lot of undesirable characteristics. And you just have to trust that that's going to be completely eliminated when you eventually hybridize it with another Doc. inbred plant. Doc, let me ask you this. You still have to be selective on the plants that you use to do the S1, correct? Yeah, to some extent. But really, like, like in corn breeding, it's it's a guessing game. And, and once they get the self lines, they try as many different, they try crossing the selves to as many different other self plants. Um, and it's a guessing so game. You never really know one. which male and which female uh, are going to cross and create the, the perfect plant. Can I ask you one question figures. before yeah, we're going to yeah. have to go? We have to go into final shout outs here because there's a bunch of us. But um, I had seeds that I, I bought that were labeled IBL, which I'm now I, I didn't necessarily think that it's perfectly properly labeled. But the way that they achieved it, so they claimed was and this was for genetic preservation purposes. They just open pollinated. So they took all the males and all the females and then let them hit each other generation after generation after generation. I don't know how many years of, yep. or of rounds of doing that they did but they claim now that it's uniform but it's almost like it's something you'd want to breed with not grow because it's so inbred that it's not yeah. super vigorous but it's extremely consistent in its um you know genes yeah there's a, a different route to get fairly stable plants through open pollinating varieties and there's been a long sort of debate about why we went the route of hybridization for most commercial crops. And one argument, the, the, the cynical sort of anti-capitalist argument is exactly that, that hybrids are controlled seeds that you have to buy again each year. And there's another way to create basically stable populations of plants through open pollinating practices um, and creating those populations that breed true to seed. Um, the issue there isn't as much, the consistency isn't as going to be as strong because you do have genetic diversity amongst those populations. They're not all genetically identical. If they were, you'd have, you'd run into a lot of issues with the expression of deleterious recessive alleles. Um, so you still have heterosis or, um, heterozygosity 
in that population. And that means you're going to have some variation in the, the phenotypic expression of plants. Um, but they breed true to seed, basically. So farmers can save those seeds and replant them if that's your strategy to sort of achieve a stable population. If you go for the, the hybridization route, um, the, the uniformity is more consistent, but you cannot save the seeds. All righty. Well, that was a, a great way to wrap it up, I think. And I'll uh, first pass it over to our guests so that we don't keep them hanging too long. And I'll pass it first to Chichi B and say thank you for joining us. And where can we find you? Final thoughts and shout out. Um, well, first off, uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me show off my grow. You can find me on YouTube. Of course. You can find me on YouTube at Chicha B, um, on Instagram at Chicha B, I think underscore B. Um, yeah, but definitely thank you for letting me come and hang out. And until next time, peace out. Thank you for showing off your garden. It was a pleasure to have you as always. Uh, well, I guess this is our first time. So thank you very much for joining us for your first time. Yes. Yes. It was uh, great to have you as a guest and you're always welcome back whenever we send out that link. So thanks you for tuning in and uh, jumping on the panel with us this week. Next yeah, up, we got thanks. Smart Poker. See you, to be. All right. Hello. Uh, I just wanted to say the same thing. I appreciate you guys letting me come on here and just hang out. Uh, it feels good just to be a part of this. Uh, everybody in the panel here, I look up to a lot and consider you guys like my mentors. I learned a lot from this show over the years and I've taken a lot of grower love away and I can't express that enough. So uh, thanks for all that. And if anybody wants to find me, they can find me on uh, CocoForCannabis.com as Smot Poker or on YouTube as Smot Poker or on Instagram as Real Smot Poker and grower love to the chat, my home. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Thank you so much for joining us. Next up, we got Modern Genetics. Peace out, everybody. Catch me at uh, Modern Genetics Grow on Instagram. And uh, it's good to hang out with you guys. Good to smoke with you. Thank you so much Peace for joining us. Peace out, everybody. Good to see everybody. Later. It's great having you. And uh, next up, we got Potent Ponics. Find me at the Growing With Fishes podcast on your favorite podcast app uh, over on Potent Ponics on my, my YouTube channel over there. Uh, and uh, also hang out a lot over on Fumador and the flavors uh, as far as uh, channels. Good dude over there as well. Uh, thank you for the plug and thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate your feedback and uh, thank you for sending me that contact information. I'll try and get uh, in touch with them and maybe bring them on the show because uh, I think that's going to be great to have some of that California history from uh, Wayne. I don't know if I should say the last name, but Wayne J. Um, pretty cool dude from what it sounds like. And I need to definitely uh, hear more from them and would love to have them on. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for joining us and I look forward to more of your show and seeing you all around the uh, internets uh, of cannabis, it seems. So thank you again for joining us. Okay. Last, as far as the guests go, is Dog Doctor, I think. Thank you, guys. Uh, qu quick, just show you guys as the top went from last week so that... Uh, People watching can see they bounce back perfectly. No worries. Beautiful progress report. They're growing. All of them, actually. As for the insides. They're looking nice. Are these the ones that are getting the, the 
uh, I think you were calling it like the solid nutrient, the nutrient powder. Exactly, exactly. These are the ones that oh. are, I'm just feeding microbial. The rest I, I feed with the soil, and now I'm just watering with microbial life. They're good progress funny. over a week. When when you topped those last week, those were just little growth tips growing out there. Now you got, yeah. get what, three node branches, right? One, two, three, exactly. Yep. Yep. Great progress. They're looking healthy oh. and happy. Great work, Dog Doctor. Thank you again for joining us. And now I'm going to go to our uh, regular panelists, starting first with Matthew Gates. Yeah, honestly, I really enjoyed the topics of conversation. Uh, I like that we got to talk uh, a little bit about um, sort of the community situation, what happened in Emerald Cup. Um, interesting interaction there. And uh, also, like everyone in the chat, I thought it was very, uh, you know, uh, earnestly bracing to hear in a good way, like refreshingly, um, like how these, uh, how crop cultivars are produced and um, how that would influence cannabis. So I really appreciate what Dr. MG Coco had to say there. You can find me and plant health information uh, related to my work. Uh, my website is zenthanol.com for professional inquiries. You can also find me, uh, uh, my YouTube channel is Zenthanol, my Instagram and Twitter, which is at SyncAngel. And you can also find some of my uh, opinions on Skunk Magazine. Uh, there will have a spring issue sometime soon, but you can find me in the last several uh, issues. Always a pleasure to have you and uh, definitely check him out. He's got lots of great content out there and uh, don't be afraid to support him on Patreon. If uh, he's helped you out in the past, it starts at just $1 and you can get access to exclusive uh, chats and everything like that over on uh, one of those apps that I can't think of the name of right now. Uh, but Discord, there we go. But next up, we got Dr. MJ. Hey guys. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Thank you. I, I feel like I, I showed up late and hit it hard. Now it's time for me to pass out on the couch. Um, but thank you very much to, to Matt Gates for those fine, Matthew Gates, for those fine words of encouragement there. And I'm sorry I showed up late to hear some of the guests. It sounds like we got some, some interesting grow room reports or, or views. So I'll have to go back and, and look at that. But thank you to all of the guests for showing up and to all of the the chatters for chatting along and um, yeah, everybody from the, the Cocoa for Cannabis family that's here watching every week. I am Dr. MJ Coco. You can find me at Cocoa for Cannabis. We're gearing up for the New Year's Grow Challenge. So be sure to sign up for the New Year's Grow Challenge. I'm going right now over to the Cocoa for Cannabis chat room where we're doing our plant training grow challenge end of grow awards tonight. We got four big prizes going out for the the end of grow awards. So I'm excited about that and I will see everybody next week. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. And uh, good stuff uh, to the community. Always happy to see people growing together and uh, the giveaways and all the cool stuff that happens that camaraderie is great to see and uh, continue to build in the community. So thank you again for joining doctor. And next up we've got Noah, the grower. Hey, how's it going everybody? Yeah. I also had a great time. Uh, I always do. Uh, Spartan said something earlier that uh, I struck home with me. I'm going to make sure I say it to next time. I kind of always try to default to somebody who's been growing longer than me. That's a good rule of thumb for anybody who's new coming up to grower. If you know a good grower, ask them for advice. But yeah, I'm uh, Noah B. Grow with two E's on Instagram. You can find me there. And I'm always here. I'm growing with my fellow growers. Can't wait to see you guys all next week. Always a pleasure to have you. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Look forward to seeing you next week. And I believe it's uh, the last one who hasn't gotten to do a sign out is the American one. All right, first shout out to all the guests, Chicha B, Smart Poker, and Crispy Wannabe, Modern Genetics, Potent Ponics, the Dog Doctor, 
thanks for showing us your uh, plants and uh, going over the can of troll and everything. It's always good to have a couple new voices in. Shout out to the regulars, Noah the Grower, Sink Angel, Dr. MJ Coco, Spartan Grown, uh, Kyle the Breeder, and Russ, uh, Brandon Rust in their absence. And uh, I hope I didn't miss anybody. And of course, Jack Aaron, thanks the for hosting. Noah the Grower. And um, mm. yeah, I'm the American one on the YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Keens on the IG. And uh, yeah, it was great chatting up. Peace. I won't keep you too much longer. I just want to say shout out to Aaron, the grower, who wasn't with us this week. I think Tao got literally everybody else. You can see my name right here behind me. If you're watching you on look YouTube, bad. At Jack Greenstock. Hey, you, know, you don't look bad. You just made my job a whole lot easier because I'm not going to repeat everybody's name and uh, make people sit here longer. They could go watch Michigan Bros Grow Show at this point. But uh, I'm at Jack Greenstock on Instagram if you want to hit me up there. I'm also Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter or Jack Greenstock 47 at gmail.com. If you want to email me, if you're not on social media, if you want a copy of the book, 50 Strains of Green, it's available at 50strains.com. And I appreciate everybody listening. I appreciate all of the panelists who joined us. Uh, like Tao just sh shouted all of you out. It was amazing to have all of you on. It was amazing to have the engagement from the chat. Uh, great week just overall. Um, it started off as a tiny panel and it became a party. And I just had a great time. Lots of information was shared. And I just appreciate everybody showing up. Uh, so much growers love for everybody. This is Jack Greenstock signing out. See you all next week. Grower love. love, everyone. Good love, everyone. Thank you.